Hi, this is Jamie Duvall. I'm the host and the producer of the Kubrick series from the Movie Geeks United podcast. The Kubrick series will return in September of 2016, at which point it will only be available to subscribers. How do you become a subscriber? You simply visit our website at moviegeeksunited.net, click the donate button at the top of the home page, and with a donation of at least $10, you can enjoy unlimited, unfettered access to hundreds of hours of uncut interviews and special episodes of the Kubrick series, including the premiere of episode 6, Born to Kill, which chronicles the making and the legacy of Full Metal Jacket. Please note that this content will not be available to subscribers until we premiere the Kubrick series website in September of 2016. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Geeks United. This is Jamie, and I'm joined here by Dean. Jerry is taking the week off. Uh, a little bit later, we'll be joined by Adam, who will talk about the July Blu-ray releases, just in time for August. I was just watching Hologram for a King today, uh, the new Tom Ty- I guess you say his name is Tykver. Uh, I'm not, not entirely Tyker? sure about that. But the new Tom Hanks, the relatively new Tom Hanks movie. Which I uh, I liked partially. Uh, I I thought Hanks and uh, you know it's about a you know American businessman going over to sell a new uh, hologram communication service to a Saudi Arabian king, and um, I really liked most of it. Uh, the only part of it I didn't like was I, I thought there was some sort of not so funny comedy that was interjected into it by a, a character playing a, a, a guy. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he he plays a, a chauffeur for Tom Hanks that keeps popping up, and I felt like that character was distracting from the entire story. But uh, other than that, I I really liked it a lot more than I thought I would, um, and. Uh, then uh, a few days ago, I was watching Elvis and Nixon. Uh, have you seen that? I Elvis. haven't. I want to though. Uh, Tony was uh, Tony Macklin was uh, recommending it to me. You know, I uh, I thought that that uh, you know, my, of course, Michael Shannon doesn't really look anything like Elvis, uh, but I thought that uh, since he's wearing the wig and the sunglasses <laughs> that uh that did enough to you know cover up that fact uh that uh 
he's really not the person to be playing Elvis. Plus, he's, he he did a good job on his own with the voice and the mannerisms and so forth. Um, and I thought that Kevin Spacey was a very, very good um, Nixon. Uh, very good. Mm. But uh, I was... Uh, Disappointed in the movie largely because I just uh, well first of all they did a a Showtime uh, Showtime did a Elvis meets Nixon uh, movie uh, uh, in the late nineties I think and uh, it was much better because it was a film about it was basically a movie about uh, Elvis going out on his own for the first time and seeing the world outside of you know, having having his uh, people around him, you know, uh, his the Memphis Mafia around him, you know, uh, telling him where to go and what to do and protecting him from everything. And this was that film was much better at uh, uh, sort of dramatizing and finding humor in in the situation, whereas this this version of the story. Uh, just treats the meeting of Elvis and Nixon like it's the most important thing in the world, and we need to see it exactly as how it, how it happened. And <laughs> by that doing that, they sort of drained all the humor out of it, really. And uh, so I didn't really find it find it that good. I, I, I found I found that it takes a long time to get to the meeting uh, between them. It's in the la- they meet in the last thirty minutes, and it's not worth waiting for. And plus, they interject some some you know subplots with one of the guys that he's going up there with. It's one of his old friends, and I don't know. It's just I didn't care anything about that. And uh, I don't know. They just I thought it was a missed opportunity, really. But well, then it again, seems like just in in a in a historical perspective, it seems like just a wacky kind of side note. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so to build a whole movie out of it, it has to be a comedy. Is it a, is it a comedy? I didn't laugh. <laughs> I didn't laugh. I thought the other one was funnier. I thought the, 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 the Showtime movie, which I don't know if that's even out there to see. Was the last time I saw it, I, I watched it on VHS. So I don't even know if that's, that's available, but, uh, uh, that's the one I would go to. But I, to me, the most interesting thing about the movie was how effective uh, uh, Kevin Spacey was as Nixon. Although he doesn't look like Nixon at all either, but he, he, somehow his his the way he his performance, you know, convinces us. You know, so uh, right. so I thought I thought that was the best thing about it. Um, but. Uh, other than that, uh, I was going to go out to see Cafe Society today, but I just didn't really feel up to it, <laughs> the new yeah. Woody Allen film. So, I mean, I really can't I'm, – I'm finding it difficult to, like, to get myself out to the movies these days. I'm excited about uh, Hell or High Water. I, I want to see that. But uh, outside of that, I, I, nothing's motivating me. Yeah, I mean, I can't get motivated to see the new Jason Bourne. I, I'm, I've never really been a huge fan of that series, and um, and then Star Trek. No, not really interested in that either. Um, 
I am interested in seeing Captain Fantastic, the new uh, Viggo Mortensen movie. Yeah. But as always, I'm real disappointed in the fact that in, in Atlanta, at least, it's only playing at one theater, and it's a theater I don't particularly care for. So uh, I just don't understand why uh, 16 screen theaters, and again, this is an old thing that I've complained about on this show many times. I don't understand why 25 screen theaters or whatever can't devote one screen to uh, to an independent film. They just cannot do it, you know. Um, they, there's no will for them to do it. So uh, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> they can't sacrifice one screen? Exactly. But I tell you, I had a great um, experience the other night. Uh, here in Atlanta, we have a uh, movie theater. Uh, it's not a movie theater anymore. It's more of a, a live performance space now. But they turned it back into a movie theater for a few days uh, a couple of weeks ago. The theater is called the Rialto. It's really the Rialto Center for the Performing Arts now. But it, for 100 years before, it was a movie theater, or at least 80 years. It stopped being a movie theater in 89. And uh, it, all throughout the 70s, they played, uh, you know, horror movies and black exploitation movies, uh, uh, kung fu, and and um, the occasional, you know, the occasional drama. Um, and uh, so they opened the theater up and fired up the 35 millimeter camera or projector, and they played 35 millimeter prints of uh, Shaft and oh. of uh, Enter the Dragon, which, believe it or not, I had never seen Enter the Dragon all the way through. Um, and they were beautiful prints, and they had um, Isaac Hayes' son and daughter were there, Isaac Hayes uh, third, and uh, Natasha Hayes, as I believe her name and uh they also had the screenwriter for um for Enter the Dragon, uh Michael Allen, who had also written an, another Isaac Hayes movie. He had written uh, uh Truck Turner and he also wrote the um nineteen eighty version of Flash Gordon. So he was there to talk wow. about Enter the Dragon. And uh was it was it was it well attended? Uh Okay, Shaft was okay. I mean, it's a big hall, so I mean, it's like it's probably a few thousand seats. So uh, and uh, and not as well attended as I I would would have hoped. Let's just put it that way. I think there were really only about a hundred, maximum one hundred and fifty people there for uh, for Shaft, which this was this was a Friday night, and then at at for the ten o'clock show of Enter the Dragon. There was probably half of that, so it was very scattered uh, and and very very low turnout for that. So so a lot of so a lot of people decided to uh, exit the dragon. Yes, they <laughs> exited the dragon pretty quickly, I think. Um, but uh, uh, they, I, Enter the Dragon is a beautiful, beautifully directed movie, I think, uh, and yeah. uh, and and ridiculously simple. Um, and uh of course beautiful Lalo Schifrin score and um I, I just I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh in fact I even thought it was better than Shaft, which, you know, Shaft the primary 
primary reason to watch that is, uh, of course, Isaac Hayes' score and, and to a certain extent, Richard Roundtree's lead performance. But it's not a not a great movie. Um, yeah, but still, I mean, both of those they're great Friday night movies. They are. They they and it was terrific seeing <clears throat> seeing thirty five millimeter again. I I don't think I think the last time I sat and watched a thirty five millimeter film was probably I don't know. It might have been the Master watching the Master, or that was seventy millimeter, obviously. But. Uh, um, I think that was the last film that I had actually watched, you know, be, being projected on celluloid. Did you see the uh, King Kong preview? I haven't seen that yet. I don't think I'm very interested it, in that. <laughs> I, I'm, I was, I was definitely not interested, and now I'm just slightly less disinterested <laughs> after seeing the trailer. But right. the, the trailer, uh, it looks, I mean, just from an aesthetic standpoint, it looks like they've given it a different feel than all the mm. others. It, it it almost looks like, a, and this doesn't sound like praise, but uh, when I say it out, when I articulate it, it almost looks like a Dominic Cena movie, you know, the guy that did Swordfish. It looks like yes. a Bruckheimer <laughs> 90s, early 2000s Bruckheimer production. I think I remember seeing it. You know, someone saying online that it it it, it had a, a almost apocalypse now kind of feel. Is that is that accurate or could be? Could be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it will not be apocalypse now. I mean, I I can pretty much guarantee it. <laughs> yes. It'll be more closer to Dominic Cena, I think, than Apocalypse Now. Yeah, those are miles apart. Adam's on the line. Adam, are you there? I am here. Good evening, guys. Hey, how are hey, you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Hope you all are doing well, as well. <laughs> we were talking about the new uh, King Kong uh, trailer, which I assume that you've seen, because I, have. I know you're a big fan of the whole Kong thing. Yes. So, what did you think of it? Well, I do think it looks interesting. It's intriguing. Um, I, I like the fact that they're setting it in the 1970s. I, I do like that. That's that's an interesting idea. Uh, I wonder if they're going to um, dwell on the uh, oil crisis as a uh, subplot like they did in the 1976 film. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm just joking. I doubt that's going to happen. They might, you know. Yeah, yeah you never can tell. That mm-hmm. was the... Uh, that was the reason they went there, you know, in the uh, 76 version, to make it topical and timely. Uh, but uh-huh. I, I, I am excited about it. Um, it looks like they're trying real hard to make him uh, a supersized Kong so that later on they can have the inevitable King Kong versus Godzilla uh, Which they've battle. announced. They've already announced that yeah. that's happening. Yeah. I think they just announced that a couple of days ago or something. Yeah. But, uh, right. They're doing a little pre set up work you know what preview i saw that i thought looked pretty good uh was the new m night shamalama ding dong movie uh <laughs> which is uh called uh split have you guys seen yeah. this i have i saw split. it yeah. like like the like like the two halves of his career <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh this is uh 
this is a uh, James McAvoy is the is the star of the film, and apparently he plays a person with twenty twenty five different personalities. Uh, who kidnaps some girls and uh and so that's basically it and um uh I thought it looked pretty good actually I thought it looked kind of scary could be just uh could be just a good preview but uh um I thought it looked Look, like an interesting I, I think performance. I think I think that M I think that M Knight is a skillful filmmaker with possible bad judgment uh, it could be just that. His current track that he's on, where he's trying to keep it low budget and and and, and do it stripped down, I think that's a good approach for him. Yeah. Yeah, because he, if he keeps the budgets down, then that means they can't be they can't be you know perceived as you know tremendous bombs if they do happen to fail, and uh, and it frees him up. I think it frees him up to. I guess return to, uh, I don't know, a better mode of filmmaking. Or, but anyway, you're did right. You see, it, it, Dean, 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 did you see the last one that he did, the the visitor or the grandmother or whatever I try, it was? I tried to watch it, and I just decided I wasn't in the mood about five minutes in. So I, I decided. You know, so I have the answer is no, not really. Um, I liked it. Yeah, well, I thought it was. I thought it was a, a, a good. Effective movie. Yeah, I just wasn't in the mood to watch those kids for some reason. Sometimes I just, <laughs> you know, I didn't do it. But uh, but I'll I'll sit and watch it. You know, I mean I've just been watching tons of television. You know, like the big thing now is uh, I don't know if you guys have watched this is uh, the Night of uh, the oh. HBO series that's being done by. Um, Steve Zalian and uh, Richard Price. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that that I, I think that's very good. Um, I think my only complaint with it is this perhaps a, just a tad bit too slow paced for me. Um, but uh, I, but I like uh, I like the cast, and I could do, I, I honestly I could do with a little bit less about John Turturro's eczema on his feet. Uh, that's a, uh, if you if you watch the show, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, I think the I think the film uh, the show is very very good, and uh, and it looks like they're going to renew it for another season, and it's going to be something like you know True Detective, where it'll be a different story uh, next season. So, but uh, but I'm enjoying it quite a bit, and. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've just been watching television mostly. So, well, the night of, do, did you know that uh, Robert Elswit photographed two episodes of it? Yeah, he wow. did the uh, he did the pilot. Uh, I know I knew that, or he did the first episode. Uh, so yeah, I was I was extremely uh, I was extremely you know glad to see that and. It's just it's very good it's very good work. It's a very very dark piece, uh I think. And it seems like it's turning even darker with the introduction of Michael Kenneth Williams uh as uh Riz Ahmad's uh uh prison friend, I guess, quote unquote. So, uh yeah. but 
but it, it's it's extremely good. If you guys listening haven't haven't checked it out, check it out immediately. Okay, Adam. Yeah. Uh, this episode will not post until August, so it's a perfect opportunity to review the July Blu-ray releases. <laughs> well, there's you know it's always good. You, you you know you do it at the end of the month that way you can catch them all in one fell swoop. I say so. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it reminds people, you know, what's out there. I mean, you know, I I think it's a good thing. Yeah. So hey, let me let me uh, just say let me just say first to to you, Adam. So Criterion has rearranged the release dates for like four or five of their movies. Did you see that? Yes, I got an I got an email from their uh, their their press people uh, the other day, and they did. Uh, and I was disheartened very much so because uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is one of those titles, and uh, we were on the on the cusp of re- getting our review copies in uh, because it was supposed to come out August 9th, and so I was just so excited. I'm like, ah, my McCabe is going to be coming real soon, and <laughs> then I got this email saying, no, I, I, it's not. You know, I I mean, McCabe is one of my all-time favorite movies. Me too. But I said from the beginning, I said from the beginning, this is a really delicate transfer. I bet you that's why it's been delayed, because they're trying to get the transfer right, and they don't have it yet. Yeah, that, I think you may be on to something. I really well, what do. makes it delicate? Well, they they, they exposed well, the because, film to, because, uh, they flashed the film, for one thing, when they were, when they were shooting it. Isn't that part of it? And because it's a movie that you don't necessarily clean up and make look pristine. That right. works against the actual movie. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But true. they flashed the uh, – what was this about flashing the film? I mean, uh, they, fla- they flashed about? the They flashed the – Vilmos Zygmunt flashed the negative, which gave yes. it an antique look. But what uh-huh. it also did is it is it prevented them – from making any post-production changes to it, because yes. once you flash the negative, that's it. That's right. Yeah, that's what okay. I was getting at. But yeah, mm-hmm. that that pretty well sums it up. So yeah, it's a very delicate situation, and I, I do think he was involved in the transfer before his passing. I do think that he had some involvement in it. Um, to <laughs> what degree, I can't say. <clears throat> so, um, uh, what were some of the other titles that were shifted around? Well, Pan's Labyrinth uh, was that um, got moved up, I think, by a week. They're doing a uh, they're doing a uh, Del Toro box in October, which also has Devil's Backbone along with Pan's Labyrinth. But Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth is also also getting uh, a separate standalone re- release. So, but they're moving all of those up to October 11th. I do believe, um, and then they they did finally announce a date on McCabe. It is. Um, like the first Tuesday in October, uh, okay. I think that's what I finally got on that. But then they they also yeah. um, moved the, the date of Boyhood around, which they're they're doing a a special edition on Boyhood, and so they moved that one around. And I can't remember if I think it got pushed farther well, out. I believe. Yeah. No, they 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 moved that up. That's oh, actually okay. getting that's a bump. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, it got kind of confusing there for a while, and I don't have my emails right in front of me, so I, I kind of lost track of it all. But, uh, yeah, I got, I got that in the middle of the week, and my heart just sank. And, but, you know, it's going to be an interesting month in October because they have also opted to uh, do the Blu-ray upgrade of Shortcuts, which means that Ooh. if they're going to be doing McCabe in, August, in October, then we're going to be getting two Altman titles the same month, which is a good thing, I guess. Uh, those yeah, are very good. I yeah, those are... I got to tell you, man. Uh, above all filmmakers, I miss Robert Altman the most. I think, oh, and because I think movie, I think movies need him the most. Can you imagine what he would do with this election season, with this culture <laughs> the way it is today? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I was thinking about you know how we talked about political movies and and you talk po- politic po- political movies with uh Tony Macklin recently and yep. uh I was thinking about Tanner 88 <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, man mm-hmm. man what would what would uh I I had the same you know reaction was uh, what what would Altman think of this yeah he would probably find it yeah. both scary and funny so um <laughs> What would yeah, Altman no. do? That should be the that should be the filmmakers. What would Jesus do? <laughs> That's good, very good. But yeah, yeah, there, there's some shuffling going around over at uh, Criterion. So it'll be it'll be interesting to find out what really, you know, prevented them. I mean, there was some speculation that they might have gotten hold of some extra stuff that that they wanted to include on the disc at, uh, that they didn't have previously. So uh, that that's that is some there is some speculation on that. So who who knows? But uh, as long as we as as long as it gets out there and and we get it and get to yeah. see it, I'm. Do it. They I'm need just, to do it. They need to do it right. They they can push it back as much yeah. as they want, as long as they do it definitively. That's correct. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So uh, so yeah so, yeah that. So what do we got? So uh, well we'll go back to the first of the month. We'll start there. Um, we have uh, Richard Burton, Absolution. Um, that was. Is that the one where he's playing a priest or something? That is the one. Yes. Okay. Yep. Exorcist Two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know anything about that one. Uh, I, I, I'm aware of the title, but that's about it. I don't know anything about the the plot lines or anything like that, but. He was uh, doing a lot of movies like you know uh, that that flew uh, uh, way under the radar in that period. Oh it was, yeah, I mean things like the Medusa Touch and so forth. So, uh, yeah. or and and that uh, I think he did a a um, a biopic of Richard Wagner, the uh, the uh, composer. So um, yeah, that doesn't yeah, surprise I me. I haven't heard it. Yeah, it's okay. one of his last grasps, I guess you would say. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So, anyway, there you go. Uh, but uh, we'll start off with that one, and then moving along, um, we have Suture. Uh, Arrow is releasing that, which uh, never seen that. Have you guys ever seen that? It's it's they say it's very similar thematically to uh, um, Seconds, and it was uh, from 1993. Really? Yeah. Huh. Oh. And I hear it's great. Everybody that I have spoken with, Dennis Haysbert's in it, and um, it, it it definitely is. It has you know, a very similar um, storyline to to seconds, and uh, it's 
kind of an homage I even uh, I've even heard, but I've heard that it's really really good. So I, I want to get my hands on that. I might do a book on that one because uh, mm. I, I'm hearing I've heard good things about it for a long time, but just never caught up to it. So uh, anyway, Suture is available from Arrow as well as uh, director Jack Hill's The Swinging Cheerleaders from 1974. <laughs> mm. I would like to see that. I would it's like good. to see that again. It's it's good in that Jack Hill style of filmmaking. You know, you, you know who you are. And we're talking about Jack Hill here. We're talking about the guy who directed The Big Bird Cage and uh, and Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown So uh, and the uh, Switchblade Sisters. So we're... That's the Jack Hill we're talking about. So, if you like that kind of stuff, Swinging Cheerleaders is is a, a definite must for anyone's collection. So, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, Taking of Pelham one, two, three, and that's a. Uh, they're calling it the forty second anniversary special edition, which I guess. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> Weird, but uh, that's not something Look, you mean, typically. That's a that's a that's a great that's a great movie, and uh, that it is. That's a great that's a great score, man. I mean, David Shire, his yep. score for that is amazing. Yes, it definitely is. Yeah, it's it's a great. Uh, it is it is a great film and is a great score, and uh, the remake pales in comparison. I must say, uh, the uh, Tony Scott. But uh, this new edition, why why should we rebuy it when MGM has previously issued it? Which I have the other one, and I think the picture is the same transfer from the old MGM disc. So I'm going to go ahead and tell people that. Uh, what the new one has, though, is it has an interview with Hector Elizondo. That's about 12 minutes. Has an interview with David Shire. That's about nine minutes. It has an interview with uh, Jerry Greenberg, the uh, famed editor, uh, and that's about a nine-minute uh, interview there. And then there's a Trailers from Hill segment on here, a Stills Gallery, and the, um, the theatrical trailer. So if you want to upgrade to the Taking of Pelham 12342nd edition, well, there's there's the reasons why, if you want to do that. The other one well, is a bare bones. And it's a, it's, it's a good reminder that... Uh, Hector Elizondo has done more than just Gary Marshall movies. <laughs> mm, yes, true, true. I guess they they did the Forty Second because of Forty Second Street, and because uh, it was a big, it probably was a big you know hit on Forty Second Street in the in the uh, grind houses uh, there. So, uh, so I guess that's the connection there. But uh, yeah, love that movie. And I have to admit, I don't really buy a lot of uh, Blu-rays, but that's one I I would really like to buy because I I do enjoy watching that movie. Uh, I find that that's a film that you can watch over and over again. Oh yeah, and thanks yeah. to you, I have a one sheet, uh, Dean. I do appreciate that. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's a great one sheet too. <laughs> yes, it is. I appreciate your uh, giving me that several years ago because it's. Uh, I, I, I hold it in high esteem. So <laughs> good. Anyway, uh, so, and and also um, b- before we leave Pelham, yeah. and also the combination of Mathau, uh and Robert Shaw is so interesting because yes. I mean here you have the ultimate the ultimate laid back curmudgeon. I mean he was always a curmudgeon <laughs> even when even yes, when, he, when he was in his thirties. Uh, up against like the most in, one of the most intense actors of that time period. It's it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean it's a it's a fantastic you know array of character actors in it, and uh, and uh, just a, it's just it's just a fantastic movie. Like it, it, it I think I'm glad to say I'm glad to see that it it, it is growing in esteem and love. Like it, yeah. it feels like it's gr- it's growing with each passing year. Like people people more people get come around to to seeing it and. And finding out that it really is a, a um, landmark action film, suspense film. Yeah, so. yeah, it is. And I, you know, I just—it's just a movie that just pulses with vitality and, and energy, and just—I don't know—it just kind of jumps right off, right out at you. I mean, with mm-hmm. each viewing, it just does. It—it it never, like you said, it never—you never get tired of it. Did, did any of you guys ever see the uh, made-for-TV remake in the late '80s? Because they tried to remake it for television and uh i i've heard that it's pretty bad but <laughs> I, i've never seen it i've never yeah, seen it that's one it's that funny i, I know i the first time i ran across uh i it, pelham was one of those movies that i should have seen back in the 70s but somehow mm-hmm. we missed it or if i maybe it came on as a second feature at the drive-in and i was asleep or something but the first time i saw it was probably in the early 90s on television and tuned into it and that David Shire score comes up and I was watching it with a friend of mine and we were we were so amused at the sort of bombastic mm-hmm. uh you know quality of that score but we were like, this must be the most important movie ever made with a score like this. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really does have David Shire really outdid himself with just this, you know, incredibly booming kind of uh, work that he does yep. with it. I mean, I've heard, I've heard tell of some people who actually play it, some DJs that'll actually play a version of it on their dance floor uh, because it's it's yeah. so, <laughs> you know, maybe they add another. Well, and and it's in keeping with the theme of the movie because the score has a very propulsive quality. You can almost yep. hear the train start to move, you know, don't, don't, don't. You know, you can hear it kind of <laughs> take off. It's, it's true. Are it's you trying true. to give me ideas about uh, mixing that in with my set over at the, when I'm DJing over at the club? It, Is that what you're You should. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in mind yeah. next time I have an event in a couple of weeks. So anyway, oh, boy. Anyway, uh, uh, Criterion has issued the in-laws. And and of course I'm speaking of the 1979 The In-Laws, not the uh, not the <laughs> not remake, not the Michael Douglas remake, <laughs> yeah. which I've yeah. never seen. <laughs> I, I didn't see it either. I, I didn't. Yeah, uh, the original but, is so fantastic that I just can't imagine remaking it. Well, this was a title that I really didn't. You know, I mean, it's I'm glad Criterion did it, but it's not the typical Criterion thing that you would expect from them. But um, but no, they, that's what I like about it, though. I mean, it's always unusual when Criterion deigns to to um, to uh, focus in on a comedy, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I mean, unless it's a foreign comedy, unless yeah. it's a non-English language, but yeah. um, it, it, it's it's unusual to see them release something like that. But uh, but I think it deserves to be. Uh, Released, I definitely think that it's that director's one of his best movies, Arthur Hiller. Oh yes. Uh, not oh. not an incredibly impressive director, but that nope. and and the hospital are very good and 
and uh, uh, and of course the two lead performances uh, from Arkin and from Peter Falk are fantastic. And yeah, don't you think? Really don't you well think written. it's the fact that? Don't you think it's the fact that? I mean, that Hiller was working with two uh, extraordinary screenplays, and he just didn't. Uh, uh, um, he didn't detract from those screenplays. That was his greatest job as a director on those films yeah he didn't get in the way he just he yeah. just he just let let those let those things uh play out and i mean he was never a very showy director anyway but uh mm-hmm. so in that case in those cases that's one of the reasons that it, the movies work um but uh i mean uh the in-laws with those two lead performances, and to a certain extent, I love Richard Richard Libertini as the um, as the the uh, South American dictator that they oh, yeah. have to go after. Uh, he's he's hilarious in it, and um, it, it's just a, it's just a great movie. I'm I'm glad that they're focusing in on something like that. Yeah, me too. It's it's got a, some nice extra features here. They have a the, a new 2K uh, restoration, and they have audio commentary with uh, Arthur Hiller, Alan Arkin, Peter Falk, and Andrew Bergman. So that should be wow. interesting commentary. Um, yeah, interviews with uh, new interviews with Arkin on here uh, in support of the in-laws, which is a new interview. Um, I guess documentary feature uh, features uh, Ed Begley Jr. Nancy DeSalt, James Hong, and David Paymer. And there's mm-hmm. a trailer and a booklet. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the in-laws, uh, this is uh, it's a, it's a good a good uh, packaging of, of that film, I think, and uh, I would recommend it. So, uh, there you go. So that's uh, July the 5th. Now, this is worth mentioning that uh, on July the 8th, and this is a TV series, but it's certainly worth mentioning, uh, that The Monkees, the complete TV series, was issued by Rhino on Blu-ray. And uh, this is a massive box, limited edition, but it also includes the film Head, and mm. it includes, uh, I think, an entire disc of new special features. Every episode has been remastered from the original uh, negatives. Uh, it's just, if you're a Monkees fan, this is a a must-have so, What's the cost on that, generally? Uh, like, you know the cost? I, I'm thinking it's in the $300 range, I believe. Wow. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's it's up there. You have so, to be a big fan for that. But I Yeah. Mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, but just want to mention that. Um, and, and this is something, I don't know if you guys have talked about it. This is a newer film, but it's worth mentioning because of, it made the news this past week, the uh, Divergent series Allegiant is coming out now. What do you guys have? You guys discussed the fact that the next film in this series is going straight to television? <laughs> no, but probably. That's a, that's a good piece probably of news. Probably smart. Yeah. yeah, that's just bizarre because that they're in they're in a big. Uh, uh, I, I was reading this story last week. It was so interesting because they they don't know if they can get any of the actors to return because their contracts stipulate that these films have to be released theatrically. So if they're going to make mm. a fourth one and it doesn't get re- released theatrically, then they're going to have to renegotiate all their contracts. They don't know who's coming back. Some of these people, like Miles Teller, have, you know, their star has grown uh, considerably since the first film in this series, and they it's just a whole big thing. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just an interesting piece of news that I 
that I read because of the diminishing returns on that series. They just decided to go straight to television. I thought, hmm, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. So, yeah, I think they can probably they, reach. They expected that to be. They expected that to be the Hunger Games, and it <laughs> it wasn't. So yeah. I'm sure they'll just recast. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. I mean, I don't think anybody is, you know, only the the hardest core fans of this series would would, you know, be um, be verklempt at uh, recasting. Yeah, so. probably so. But anyway, just just a little side note there. I was curious about it, but anyway, so the Oxbow incident uh, with Henry Fonda uh, that we we saw that issued on July twelfth. That's a, that's a great movie. I, I hate to say I've never seen it, and I need to. I really need to see that movie. Oh, you should watch it. It's you yeah. know it's it, it's a just if if uh, viewers listeners haven't seen it, it's a it's a movie about mob justice. They uh, it's a um, it's a western uh, where mm-hmm. a a posse discovers two men that they two or three men. That they believe uh, are uh, murderers, and they want to just string them up and kill them. And uh, mm-hmm. and Henry Fonda, always Henry Fonda, sticking up for the <laughs> sticking oh, up yeah. for justice. Well, uh, you know, introduces the idea that maybe this is a bad idea. And uh, Anthony Quinn is one of the men that they pick up. And um, I'm trying to remember the other two right now, I can't. But. Um, it's a very very good movie. It's also very short. Uh, it's like it's less than eighty minutes long, mm. but uh, it, it speeds right by. And it, it's it's a little preachy, but uh, but it's also incredibly effective and and uh, and um, suspenseful. So very William good. Wellman. I like William Wellman. So yeah, I'm yeah. gonna have to seek that out. Uh, so, so the Twilight Time um, discs came out on tw- uh, the 12th of July, and this month they had uh, an interesting assortment, as they usually do. Uh, the Russia House was one of them. Um, I never saw that one either, but uh, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen. It. Is that uh, it's it's Sean Connery, but who's the woman in it? Is it? It's Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Okay. Yeah, it got such tepid. No, no one, came no out. one more beautiful than Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm telling you, man. Mm. Oh yeah. She's that period, yeah, bit. definitely, yeah, oh. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, also, they issued Zelig, which is a great film. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad they saw fit to put that out on Blu-ray. That'll be an interesting. You know, it's it's rare that a that a Woody Allen movie. Uh, you know, I don't know. You don't think you know? You don't put Woody Allen and Blu-ray together very often, I guess. <laughs> uh, but because yeah. uh, they're they're really okay, you know, any way that you watch them. But Zelig would be a very interesting movie to watch on Blu-ray, just because of the photographic effects and so forth. Yeah. I'd like to see how they hold up. Well, well, they yeah, do a pretty good job. What's unusual about Zelig? What's unusual about Zelig is you don't put Woody Allen and technological achievement together yeah. very often. <laughs> uh, and and Zelig is actually that's one of his favorite movies of his own, a handful mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a very uh, for the technological stuff, if nothing else, and it's certainly a, a precursor to the uh, Forrest Gump because and a lot of people don't make that correlation that. You know, Forrest Gump kind of used some of those same ideas of incorporating 
you know, a, a fictional figure into real uh, newsreel footage and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, um, but he did it first. He got there first. And you see, if you think about it too, the movie is uh, well. Of course, it was the first movie. Strangely enough, that 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 uh, Gordon Willis was nominated for a photography Oscar for, yeah. mainly for exactly. a lot of these effects. Uh, but uh, but also it's a movie that's that's um, very well made on an art direction and on a costume design kind of level because they have yeah. to match the era, um, and uh, so it's a it, it's a very interesting movie. Also a very economical movie. It probably less than I think it's something like seventy six minutes long. So it's one of Woody Allen's shortest yeah. movies. It is, uh, but uh, it's. Uh, it, it it's so good and and so funny and and uh and touching actually really mm-hmm. surprisingly touching yeah and when you see some like his latest one cafe society and and you think back to this one and like i just you know I, I, he was just it seems like he was he was trying or a little more inspired or something uh, back then than he is now and uh we'll we'll never know. be able to match the 80 1980s yeah, Woody Allen output. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It was even better than his seventies output, really. Yeah, uh, and um, so we'll just never be able. He he can never match that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think technically he he's still uh, as a director he's 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 moved on. I mean, seeing this new film, I mean, technically it's it's well shot and everything, but it's just the, the it's it's been there, done that so many times, and it feels watered down. And so anyway. Uh, I was going to go see it. I was going to go see it today, and I was, I was like, "Is this really worth going out to see?" I mean, I, I want to see Vittorio Storaro's photography, but is this really worth going out to see? Because and but I, so I went to Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, the reviews aren't that aren't great. They're not terrible, but they're not great. So, and I just thought, uh, I don't know if I'm just in the mood for it. So. I mean, it's a gorgeous movie. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's bathed in these beautiful blues and oranges, and it's just it's beautiful to look. But it's just, um, you know, like I said, the the story just doesn't really. It's it's just there's nothing there really, <laughs> unfortunately. So yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so moving right along with the other Twilight Time stuff, the gang's all here. Busby Berkeley, of course, um, mm. and. That uh, that that finally got a um, an, an Blu-ray issue, and uh, always, the black... always highly praised in terms of in terms of musicals. I, I've never seen it, but uh, but I'd like to check that out. Yeah, I, I uh, it's 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 a good place to start if you don't know uh, anything of the work of Busby Berkeley, and uh, so there's uh, and the Black Stallion Returns was another of their discs. Yikes! Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be one of the least effective uh, sequels ever, in my opinion. Uh, to, uh, you know, especially a sequel to a great movie uh, that has the original. I, I think Kelly Reno is in it again. He is, uh, yeah. and uh, he's like a he's kind of a kid that that. Uh, he was going through that awkward period, you know, that that mm-hmm. uh, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, uh, where you know he he looked quite different, uh, just 
uh, it was only a couple of years after the other one. Uh, but um, it was just it, it didn't have any of the magic of the of the original movie. No, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, it's it again. It's another thing where it's technically it looks good, but there's not really much there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Miss Miss Sadie Thompson, uh, and they've issued this one in 3D with Rita Hayworth. Uh, oh that's yeah. Another, of the uh, Twilight Time titles, and um, so I think it's the first time it's ever been issued in 3D. Mm, but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, and Yellow Sky was issued by Kino. That's Gregory Peck and another William A. Wellman, by the way. And a, uh, and one of the great westerns. Another one of the great westerns. I mean, if uh, it's probably a title that a lot of people have never heard of, but it is so. So good. Uh, uh, Gregory Peck, he he doesn't play a bad guy a lot, at least in this stage of his career. But he plays the leader of a gang of thugs going through going through the desert, uh, and uh, they've just robbed a bank, and Mm -hmm. and they're running out of water, and they come across this town, this deserted town called Yellow Sky. That really only has two people left in it: uh, an old man and his daughter. Uh, and um, uh, it's it's ex- just extremely exciting um, and uh, and uh, kind of surreal. And uh, uh, Richard Widmark is in it as well uh, as one of the gang members. It's got a it's got a really nice cast and. I forgot who plays the woman in it, uh, but she's ex- extremely beautiful, and of course everybody fights over her. And uh, just a just a top-notch western that probably a lot of people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. So check that out. I think out. it's Ann, Ann Baxter, I believe. Is yes. The, uh, yeah, yeah, and Richard Widmark, you know. So, yeah, uh, I think that uh, yeah, that's that's all of the uh, July twelfth releases. I do. Believe I think that takes care of all of those, and so we move on to um, the next week, which would have been the nineteenth. And uh, on that, on the July the uh, the uh, the nineteenth, I seem to have lost my place here. But we had uh, a couple of other uh, a couple of things from. Uh, well, we had a Screen Factory release here, uh, "The Boy Who Cried Werewolf." How about that? Mm. Perwin Matthews. I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember seeing it as as a second feature <laughs> at the drive-in, so this is what I stayed awake for. Uh, I don't remember a lot of it, but it must have made some kind of impression on on a kid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a boy who cried werewolf. It must have made some kind of impression on me, uh, or else I wouldn't remember it really. <laughs> so I was I was like I would like to check it out. Yeah, I saw it a couple of years ago. It's it's kind of hokey, but uh, you know the special effects are pretty uh, are pretty lame compared to what we saw later with the Howling and you know American Werewolf and all that. So it's yeah. But anyway, you know it's it's kind of fun in a certain uh, unintentionally funny way. You know, mm. that kind of, on that level. Uh, okay. So Bad Moon, which was uh, written and directed by Eric Red, who wrote The Hitcher. This was his take on the werewolf genre, which I've never seen, but uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the late 80s. 
and uh, Cuba with uh, Sean Connery. <laughs> Another tepidly, tepidly reviewed movie from is this yes. the, from the same people who brought us to Russia House <laughs> release. Uh, no, yeah. That's no, this was Kino Lorber actually, because the Russia House was uh, Twilight Time. So yeah, Kino issued that one. But uh, they did issue a a genuinely good movie the same day, which is Where's Papa, directed by Carl Reiner. Which I Interesting. Think is, you know, I've never seen that, and that's, uh, I have to say that that's a that's a uh, something that I've missed over the years. Oh, you need to see it. It's very, very funny, uh, and in a very subversive way. I mean, it it tackles all kinds of taboo subjects, and uh, and it's filmed in 19, 1970. You know, it's one of the few films that actually makes fun of uh, your parents who are. Uh, who are suffering from senility and <laughs> does it in a com- darkly comedic way, I should say. And it's just a very, very dark film. And, and it's so dark that the original ending was uh, excised and they shot a a happier ending that doesn't really flow with the rest of the film. Thankfully, Kino has found that original dark ending and tacked it on as a bonus feature on this uh, Blu-ray oh, wow. Where's Papa. <laughs> so uh, huh. I would give... I'm going to give a strong recommendation to to any of you out there with a dark sense of humor to pick up a copy of Where's Papa from Kino because it's it's definitely worth it. It really is. So, and it's um, got uh, uh, Ruth Gordon, whom I love, uh, and yes. would be the, one of the chief reasons that I would want to watch it. And uh, and then it's got George Siegel, whom I don't really love. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's there's a balance there, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I want to check it out because it's definitely yeah. a hole in my uh, in my um, in my knowledge there. So yeah, Garrett Morris is in it in a very early role, and uh, also Ron Liebman. So they're in there mm. too. So yeah, it's it's good. It's very good. So uh, uh, Warner Archive has a couple things here: silk stockings uh, with Sid Cerise and um, Fred Astaire. Mm, and, okay. Uh, to have and have not. It's another Warner mm-hmm. archive. That's obviously a Bogart. Isn't that the yeah, film where Bogart Bogie and Bacall. Bacall met? Yeah, they met there, I believe, on the set of that film. Uh, Return of the Living Dead uh, in a deluxe two-disc edition from Scream Factory. Uh, supposedly, this is the best version yet issued of Return of the Living Dead. So if you're a fan, <laughs> I want to get that. And here's a I film. wonder how many, uh, many times that movie has been released, <laughs> by the way. I know. This is true. Yeah, it's it has definitely uh, been issued many times, but uh, this well, is a new transfer. Uh, the, the, they're going to keep releasing it until they do it right. Until <laughs> an actual good movie comes out of it, they're going to keep coming out with it. Yeah, Adam, is it you who's told told me, or maybe I've I've read someplace that one of the reasons that that you know so many horror movies get released is that they've done some kind of research and discovered that. The only people who are really buy- the only people who are really buying hard media like this anymore are uh, uh, horror movie fans. Is that? Is that have uh, you I'm ever not read sure. I'm the one about that. I, I have heard that theory. Uh, I'm not uh-huh. sure that I have any documentation to back it up, but but there's definitely I'm sure some truth to that because uh, you know horror fans do tend to go out and. I mean, it's to the point where at Comic Con, Scream Factory actually had a, 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 their own booth at Scream uh, at, uh, at the Comic Con. So, you know, and it's it's so it is a pretty big deal among genre p- 
people. But yeah, the 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 uh, the audience for physical media is is drying up and dwindling year by year, unfortunately. But but uh, you know they keep putting stuff out there, and Screen Factory's got a terrific lineup uh, this yeah, this fall. Do. Yeah, and I guess you heard about the director's cut of Raising Cain, huh? You, I'm sure you guys. Yeah, heard, well, heard of what's great about Raising Cain. What's great about Raising Cain is uh, our friend uh, Pete. His uh, uncut Raising Cain edit is actually right. on the uh, the Blu-ray. He he came yeah. on talking about that years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I was he, he glad told to me, see. I got I got to tell you, he he told me a couple of months ago that it might happen. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, that's great. And then when it was officially announced, he showed me the press release and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the uh, I thought it was interesting. He said that because uh, I saw that that release, and he said that uh, that he ca- he that De Palma got in touch with him and told him to call Screen Factory. And by the time he called Screen Factory, De Palma had already beaten him to the punch. So he was so eager to get it yeah. on there, he had already done all the legwork. So I thought that was uh, <laughs> quite interesting. Well, this must be the, is this the first time. Is this the first time ever that a fan-made recut of something has made it? Well, has gotten the 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 stamp of approval from a from a the original director and a release. On uh, maybe, I I've never heard of anything like this. Uh, well, what's remarkable of... about De Palma is that he pays attention to everything that's out there about him on social media. Like he mm-hmm. knows, he actually cares. Yeah, and he, he does. reaches out. I mean, that's that's why we got him because he paid attention to what we were doing for him. He already mm-hmm. knew about it. Mm. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. is amazing. I was I was jazzed when I saw that was happening. I'm like, oh my god, this is a must. This is a must on. But they're also doing a 40th anniversary of Carrie, you know, too, with a brand new 4K transfer and it's a double disc and so, and the uh, Exorcist three director's cut too, which I'm oh super Ooh. jazzed about that. So, because that that film has been so shabbily treated over the years, and uh, you know, I cannot wait to see what they what they do to that. So, anyway, uh, but uh, uh, moving along with other releases in the month of July, uh, how about the ratings game, which was uh, Danny DeVito's directorial debut, and this is a film that's been out of uh, circulation for years. This is made for Showtime in I think '86, mm. and then two two yeah. years later he directed, uh, you know, Throw Mama from the Train, which was his feature debut. But oh, um, interesting, yeah. I, I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, and every, who's in it? Uh, Rhea Perlman's in it, yeah. Okay. And uh, but uh, I've what about uh, what about uh, Jack Jack the Bear? That's the only thing I really care about. What is that <laughs> Jack the Bear. I haven't heard a reference to that in decades. <laughs> We're literally the only people in the world talking about Jack the Bear. Jack right the now. Bear, exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, the ratings game, I would really love to see that. I, I did not see it when it originally came out and when it was aired on Showtime, and I've missed it over the years. And they say it has a very similar uh, storyline to UHF, which you know came out three years later, the uh, Weird Al film about you know a guy who's basically programming anything he can to get ratings on this channel. Mm-hmm. And it's outrageous and all that, and just you know got all the black humor that you expect from some of those early Danny DeVito films. So, uh, so people who uh, haven't seen it might want to seek it out. All of films put that out, and um, as they also put out The Outsider from 1980, 
So, uh, and that's Craig. Oh, my God. What is that? Craig Wasson and Sterling Hayden, and uh, based wow. on the novel The Heritage of Michael Flaherty by Colin Leinster. Is it a uh, horror film? It's it's a disillusioned Vietnam vet thing. So, oh. One of those type movies. Jeez, uh, Craig Wasson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you guys. I've been waiting for that uh, epic matchup of Craig Wasson and Sterling Hayden for. <laughs> I know. I, I, I never. I didn't even realize they had. Pay, they were in a film together until I saw the that this was issued. And I, has Craig Wasson ever done a movie with uh, George C. Scott? Because that would be, I think, critical. <laughs> that would be the next matchup. It's possible, uh, you know. You never can tell. Hmm. But uh, okay, so uh, how about Night and Fog? Uh, Criterion is issuing that, <laughs> which is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on the Craig Wasson, George C. Scott thing. It, it would literally, <laughs> it would literally be like watching a lion eat a cracker. I mean, that, that's what it would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's a great. I, bet, I I wouldn't be surprised if they were in a movie together. I, I could I could easily see that. Um, yeah, there was a time when Craig Wasson was on fire. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. So like they they were trying to make him a star, like from a, about the late seventies to to about. I don't know. I think I think Body Double kind of really put it into the ground because I, yep. I I don't. I don't think that uh, he was doing much after that. No, Again, there were was... the only people in the world talking about Craig Wasson. Craig Wasson, exactly, yes. <laughs> well, he was in Ghost Story and Four Friends. Those were a couple things I remember seeing him in when I was a... He's doing a remake of that uh, that classic Sidney Lumet film. It's it's going to be called Twelve Mild-Mannered Men. <laughs> It'd be interesting to cast that twelve mild mannered man. That would be a, a a fitting role for him if there ever was one. So <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, no. Criterion issued Night and Fog, the uh, the Alan Rene uh, documentary about the ten years after the liberation of the Nazi concentration camps, and he went in and documented the abandoned grounds of Auschwitz and. Yeah, all that. So uh, I, I hear this is a powerful film. Only thirty-one minutes, by the way. Which it is interesting that they would issue this as a standalone release, being that it's only thirty-one minutes. But you know there mm-hmm. are copious extras, so I guess there's enough to justify spending the the money for it. But um, another one from um, Olive Films is Hoodlum. <laughs> Don't know if anybody was clamoring Ooh. for that one, but. Uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Tim Roth, and Vanessa Williams, and directed by Bill Duke. Mm. So, uh, how about a double feature of William Castle, Homicidal, and Mr. Sardonicus from Mill Creek Entertainment? Uh, Mr. Sardonicus is a lot of fun. I mean, Homicidal yeah. is too, but uh, uh, Mr. Sardonicus was the uh, was the film that they, uh, you know, there was always a gimmick involved with. Uh, oh, yeah. Castle's movies. So his his the gimmick here was uh, was supposedly you could vote on uh, the fate of the lead character, mm-hmm. and uh, so they gave you little cards that you know had an up or down thumb you know printed yeah. on it or whatever, 
and uh, you could vote at the end, and they would play the one the thing that people voted on. And I guess there's I I don't know if this is true, but uh, they really only did one ending. They didn't really switch the ending. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. I uh, you know to ask you if they have more than you know the other the alternate ending of Mr. Sardonicus on this disc is probably a dumb question because it doesn't exist. Well, Mill Creek Entertainment doesn't really do a lot of extras on their discs. I mean, they're they're kind of bare bones, but they keep the prices real low on them. So they're they're bar they're usually less than ten bucks or something. So you can get these two films, and they're also issuing thirteen Ghosts and thirteen Frightened Girls, which are two other. William mm-hmm. Castle Productions, and so, you know, it's a good way to get high-definition copies of you know, some of these William Castle films and not have to spend a lot of money if you want to, so uh, just something to think about there. Well, but, uh, it, it, it makes sense, because William Castle didn't spend a lot of money on his movies, uh, so yeah. why should we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, speaking of William Castle, you know, the uh, matinee was also, was obviously inspired, you know, the Joe Dante film inspired by his his showmanship and antics and all that, and they're issuing that on Blu-ray in uh, in uh, um, England, in the UK, but not here in America, which I'm really upset about, Ooh. by the way, because I'm a big fan. What is of what that is that film. Arrow? Yeah, Arrow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I mean, uh, I'm, I mean, I can get it. I have a multi-region player, but still, I you know, it's like why, why can't we get Matinee? That's a great movie that's been forgotten. Yes, it is. Uh, so anyway, so there's a shout out to uh, the UK release of Matinee, and they've also uh, they also issued I Want to Hold Your Hand on Blu-ray in uh, the UK back in June, and a different company, not Arrow, but that's another one I'd like to get too because another oh, one me film too, another film that's been unjustly forgotten. Um, yes, and, so. and extremely funny. I mean, extremely yes. funny. And if you're if you're a Beatles fan, obviously, you know that's another. Yeah. That's that's a whole other side to it. But it's just such a such a funny movie. I mean, everybody's you know, it's got a cast of people that are in most movies are kind of uh, kind of annoying, but uh, yeah. but in this movie they com- they completely work. Yeah. And two of them are gone now. You know, Teresa Saldana and Wendy Jo Sperber are both gone. So half of the four the four girls that are you know, mm-hmm. trying to meet the Beatles, two of them are gone. That's sad. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. So uh, how about a touch of Zen? That's another Criterion release, mm. uh, which I've never seen, and it's from 1971, uh, directed by King Hu. But uh, okay. a, a, supposedly a classic of Chinese cinema. Mm. I am so woefully dumb on uh, Asian cinema. I mean, uh, you know, our good friend uh, Rich Gedney is a tremendous Mm -hmm. fan of Asian cinema. So, uh, you know, even current stuff, you know, uh, particularly Korean stuff. And uh, I just, when he starts talking about it, I'm completely clueless. This is like the one, one of the areas that I just feel so woefully. I mean, hell, I just saw Enter the Dragon for the first time. So, I mean, uh, Asian cinema is is, uh, something that I just have to devote some time to. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I'd like to catch up to. But anyway, so uh, gang-related uh, mm. Another '90s film that we might want to forget. Who's the star of this? James Belushi, Tupac Shakur. Oh uh, right, Dennis Quaid. 
So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think that was one of those posthumous films that uh, Tupac had in the in the can. Mm. So okay. Yeah. So gun and the we're man about down. to hit Tupac mania again because oh, yeah. the, the biopic are. is coming out. Yeah. So uh, James Arnaz uh, is in Gun the Man Down with uh, Angie Dickinson and directed by Andrew V. So uh, all mm. films released that one from 1956. Mm. And how about Crimes of Passion, the uh, Ken Russell film from 1984 with Kathleen Turner, Anthony Perkins, and Bruce Davison? Pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty embarrassing. But if you want to see, you know, uh, isn't there a scene where where Anthony Perkins is sitting there with a vibrator or something? I think so. I, I just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the thing that sort of seared into my brain about that. But uh, yeah. yeah, can't say I'm well, interested in watching that again. Well, speaking of Anthony Perkins, how about Five Miles to Midnight from 1962? I've uh, never even heard of that one. Yeah, Anatole Leitvak, the director, and um, so it's. It's he and uh, Sophia Loren are a Parisian couple that embark on a simple get-rich-quick scheme. And I, I may have said this, 1962 mm. is when it was made, so five miles to midnight. And, so. Anatole Lidvac, he, he, uh, he was probably at the end of his career here, so uh, probably. Geez, I've never even heard of it. Yeah, well. I mean, but the big reason to watch that would be, uh, you know, and I mean big, is uh, Sophia Loren. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I, I say there's two big reasons there. Uh, yeah. Certainly. Let's get open for that one. Well, how about a Death Wish 2 special edition from Shout Factory, which how about supposedly... It? How about it, Adam? How about it? <laughs> well, this is supposedly the uncut version uh, with it's a thea- well they, they include the theatrical cut and the unrated cut. Let's put it that way. What is the, What is mm. there? Is there more rape? Yes, <laughs> I've heard it's a lot more graphic. That's what I've been is told. It? Yes, huh. that's what the word is. That uh, mm. they they trimmed it pre-release before it actually. Um, so the MPAA would give it an R. It's supposedly that graphic. But this is the. I'm that, sorry. That those, those are those are pretty disgusting movies. They're they're yeah. pretty vile. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I've never been a fan. Yeah. Well, maybe you're a fan of this one, Petey Wheatstraw, the Devil's Son-in-Law, with Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that is that Rudy Ray Moore, right? So yes, uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I like Dolomite. It's, Dolomite's a lot of fun, so uh, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like uh, uh, Dolomite Part 2 or 3, depending on how far down the line it was. A friend of mine got me this a uh, couple of years ago on standard DVD as a Christmas present, so, <laughs> and I had a lot of fun with it. it was, it's fun for what it is. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So... Um, have uh, the Candy Tangerine Man and Lady Coco from Vinegar Syndrome, our favorite distributor. <laughs> uh, both of those from 1975. And uh, we also have The New World, the Terrence Malick. Uh, and there are three cuts. You heard that right. Three cuts of this film 
in this Blu-ray presentation by Criterion. Uh, there's a 172-minute version, there is a 156-minute version, and there is a 136-minute version. So, you so I guess how many, how many did? The, one, the shortest one was, was the one that was released in theaters? Was, is that correct? Uh, I, I do believe so, but I mm. think that the initial DVD and Blu-ray release was the 172-minute ver- version, but the 156-minute version was a – I think that may have been a, like a pre-release version when they screened it for you know trade screenings, and then he went mm. back and revised it, I think. But uh, if you want your multiple choices of uh, different of all the various cuts of the new world, well, now you have your opportunity, and there's lots of extras there. And this is, this how, is many, more how many more, discs are there? It's three. They've got each cut on a separate disc. Mm. Huh. So it is, and that I'm talking three Blu-rays, not three DVDs. The DVDs there may be even more wow. than, than three, but there's three Blu-ray discs, and it's fi- it's a fifty dollar uh, suggested retail price. So mm. it's kind of pricey. <laughs> I have to say, I want to see the longer version just to just to say I've seen it, but I don't think I want to pay fifty bucks for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, there are fans of beautiful, that movie. I, beautiful movie. Yeah, it is beautiful I mean, to look at. It's my favorite movie of that year, but uh, I'm perfectly happy with the version that I know. So, yep. <laughs> I don't know if it needs to be any yeah. longer. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either, but uh, but it's out there for anybody who's a, who's a taker. And mm. how about uh, Richard Harris, Rod Taylor, and Al Leterrier or Lit? I can't pronounce Le-Terry. his name. Terry, there we go. Uh, the Deadly Trackers, co-directed by Barry Shear and Samuel Fuller. So, wow. Yeah. I, I, now that makes me. I'm interested in that one. I'm definitely yeah, a, interested in that one. That's a Warner Barry archive. Shear is one of the one of the more um, underrated directors. You know, somebody yeah. somebody that most people have never even hardcore. Uh, I had only heard of really heard of Barry Shear after I had taken a job uh, at uh, Kim's Video, the, mm-hmm. uh, the legendary video store. It's now closed, it was, mm-hmm. uh, located in New York City, and and they had a Barry Shear section. So that's wow, <laughs> easily the most obscure. The o- the only other director that they had up there that I was like, well, he may be may beat Barry Shear in obscurity is Aram Avakian. But uh um yeah. I I said, Wow, they got a Barry Shear section so I started looking through him and, and uh he's he's got some good work, you know. And uh with Sam Fuller in there. That sounds good. Yeah. I, I think I think the, the the movie I know most the the one that I'm most familiar with from Barry Shear would be Panic in the Streets. I, I think that is isn't that the one <laughs> Yeah, I had Dick Clark yeah. in it in a cameo or something, but right. Anyway, uh, yeah. I think uh, for me it would be across 110th Street. The uh, oh, I forgot Black about that. He did the, that's a great yeah. movie. Yeah, he. I yeah. forgot he. That's one of Elvis Presley's infamously fa- favorite films too. Huh? I yeah, that. He, yeah. I was reading a bio that said he had that on a 35 millimeter print and he would watch it uh, repeatedly. So huh. <laughs> that's a great wow. film too. Well, that's a great one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, and one and a couple more titles here uh, on that were released on the 26th. Uh, Dementia 13, which has been in the public domain for quite a while, but this company filmed a, de, 
Film Detective has supposedly uh, remastered it in 4K, and it's got a uh, sparkling transfer. So if you got to have the, the latest and greatest version of Dementia 13, well, there you go. Mm. And um, then you have Dr. Butcher, M.D., or also known as Zombie Holocaust from 1980, which mm. I think was loosely remade as The Green Inferno, I do believe, from Oh, director. really? Okay. Yeah, uh, the, from okay. the, the uh, Eli Roth. Thing. Yeah, that was so, that was uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust. That's right. Yeah, I'm getting my Holocaust mixed up. So <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much uh, wraps it up, I think, for July. So, All right. Uh, Good stuff. Another another great month. 